This podcast deals with sensitive topics and uses explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. We're about to begin part four of our series on Jewish law and sexuality as I conclude my interview with Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro, author of Halachic Positions, What Judaism Really Says About Passion in the Marital Bed. We'll discuss several issues in this episode, including the influence of the Zohar upon the Halacha, as well as the importance of people understanding the various approaches that are normative within the Halachot of sexuality. If we were to discuss the issue about why Rabbi Yosef Karo doesn't address the concept of Shalok Adark or Derech Evarim, I think, again, we need to look back at the Beis Yosef. And for this, we need to understand what happened in the transitional period between the Rishonim and Rabbi Yosef Karo. Basically, Rabbi Yosef Karo was among the first Achreinim. The turn of the 16th century is, we could say, more or less, the turn from Rishonim to Achreinim, the end of the 15th century, beginning of the 16th century. And what was happening at that point was that the Zohar had been revealed by Moshe de Leon at the end of the 13th century, the late 1200s. So in the 200 years between 1300 and 1500, the Zohar is understood to be a fundamental work of Kabbalah, of Jewish mysticism, and over those 200 years it was circulated in manuscript form. And then uh, in the early 1500s, a few years before Rav Yosef Karo published the Shulchan Aruch, the Zohar was for the first time published in uh, book form, published by a publishing house. Basically, the Zohar takes a very, very extreme stance on the matter of wasting seed. Now, it wasn't the Zohar that came up with this to begin with. Obviously, it's in the Gemara, the, the concept. We already saw it on, on Lamed Dalet, Ahmed Beis, and Yavamis. The Gemara in Nida, and Yudgimel, Ahmed Aleph, and Ahmed Beis discusses the topic of wasting seed. And again, we can discuss that in a separate uh, session. The context on Nida is usually understood to be in the context of masturbation, but it makes some very strong statements about wasting seed in vain. Interestingly, it actually quotes Nebi Yochanan Barnapcha there, making a very strong statement against wasting seed in vain, and this is the same Rabbi Yochanan Barnapcha on Nedarim Chafam that paskins, that husband and wife can do whatever they want, which most Rishonim hold, refers to anal intercourse, even to the point of climax. So already you see and this is discussed uh, by at least one commentary, uh, Erech Shai, the Drisha also mentions it, that the discussion in Nida, as harsh as it is against wasting seed in vain, it doesn't apply to husband and wife. If it's from time to time, like it said, randomly, and it's not specifically for the sake of unsanctioned birth control. But in any case, the Zayar takes a very harsh stance against wasting seed in vain and says... In any context are, between husband and wife or in the context of masturbation, in other words. Well, the Zohar doesn't actually specify that when it speaks against wasting seed, it's talking about in the case of marriage. Usually when the Zohar is speaking about it, it's in the context of masturbation. There is one place where it speaks against wasting seed through anal intercourse, but it doesn't specify there, it's under, under the assumption that it's referring to husband and wife, it doesn't specify whether it's referring to occasional, random anal intercourse for the sake of sexual fulfillment within marriage, or if it's referring to constant, intentional, unsanctioned birth control. So in that sense, and as we show in the book, um, and this is actually what's discussed by the Ershai, just like we saw in regards to uh, Yavam Islam Adalabes, in regards to Onan, that his sin was considered only in the context of constant, intentional, unsanctioned birth control, 
The same thing can be said in regards to the Zayar. When the Zayar speaks about wasting seed through Shalikadarka within marriage, it can be understood as referring only to when it's done constantly for the sake of unsanctioned birth control. And yet the Zohar is ambiguous, allowing for other interpretations as well. Correct. So what you end up having is, you have the Zohar, again, at the end of the time of the Rishonim, the Zohar gaining popularity, greater and greater authority, almost near canon status. And what happens then is that in Tzfas, in the 1500s, like I said before, was the seat of the Kabbalah movement of the day, which included Rabbi Yosef Karo and others, what you have is Rabbi Yosef Karo in the Beis Yosef commentary on the Torah, basically discussing the various opinions that hold that you're allowed to do Shalikadarka even to the point of climax. But then he warns that a person shouldn't do it. A person who is concerned for his soul should avoid such things. He doesn't say it's usr. He said you should avoid it. You should distance yourself from it. And then in a another note that Rabbi Yosef Karo added in one of his revisions of the Beis Yosef commentary, the revision is called the Bedekabayas, he adds there a very, almost a shocking statement that he says, if Rabbeinu Yitzchak had seen what the Zayar says about wasting seed in vain uh, and how harsh it speaks against it, he would never have said what he did, referring to what Rabbeinu Yitzchak said, that the sin of Aaron Anan was only in regard to constant anal intercourse with climax in order to uh, intentionally you know, avoid conception. So does that mean that, in your opinion, is it fair to say that Rabbi Yosef Karo he took the Ravid in the context of a society in which the Zohar was gaining credence in a way it never had had before. And accordingly, his view was tempered by or helped or pushed on by the Kabbalistic influence that really hadn't been part of halachic discourse until then. I really think it's a mixture because the main points that you take from the Ravid is the prohibition of the gazing and the kissing. In addition to that, the Ravid interprets Hafiq HaShulchan as referring to rear entry vaginal intercourse as opposed to anal intercourse, which many you know, rabbinic opinions seem to have understood that he was forbidding anal intercourse. When we're talking about the concept of Rabbeinu Yitzchak, it's already under the assumption that anal intercourse is permitted. The question is, is it permitted even to the point of climax? So the influence of the Zayar seems to be very clear in that regard upon uh, the Beis Yosef, because he says very clearly that he's building his case based on what the Zayar says. But what's so bold about that statement is that, again, when you look at Rav Rishonim that discuss the issue of Shalikadarka to the point of climax, Rav of them, the vast majority of them, permit it. So it's not just Rabbeinu Yitzchak. Rabbi Yosef Karo is basically saying is if all of these Rishonim, which I believe it's, there's at least a dozen that permit it, then the, the assumption is that all of them would change their mind if they had seen the Zayar. And this is without even getting into the question of would they have believed in the Zayar to begin with? You know, that's a separate question. So your answer right now also explains how the Ramah went underground, so to speak. In the same way that the Machaber's approach is emphasizing the Zohar, the Ramah, who wasn't using the Zohar at all, was using the classic Rishonim approach, because of the increased credibility of the Zohar at that time, that you could, I don't know if this is historically true, but I would think that had a lot to do with why the Ramah is ignored. Absolutely. I think that is absolutely the case. And what you also find, as I mentioned, Rabbi Yosef Kar wasn't the only one who tried to kind of downplay the permission for uh, anal intercourse. Again, uh, to the point of climax, one of the reasons why we're discussing the, the question of anal intercourse is not to push anal intercourse per se, but it's to address the question of wasting seed within marriage. And more importantly is the question of derech because what you have is that one of the main commentaries on the tour, who is a Talmud of the Ramah, the Jerisha, Rabbi Yeshua Falk, he comes and says that, uh, according to Rabbeinu Yitzchak, not only is Shalekadarka permitted to the point of climax, but even Derech Evarim would be permitted to the point of climax. He's the main, or maybe the first, of the Achorinim that says clearly that according to Rabbeinu Yitzchak, and presumably all the Rishonim who permit Shalekadarka to the point of climax, 
Derek Evarn would be permitted to the point of climax as well. That's, I think, what is probably more important for couples to know, that if there's interest for the wife to stimulate the husband manually or orally or through any other part of the body, according to the Drisha, that would be permitted according to Rabbeinu Yitzchak, and by extension, all the other Rishayinim. But as I mentioned, Rabbi Yosef Kar wasn't the only one in Tzvas in the 1500s who basically downplayed the permission for Shalikadarka. You also have the Sefer Haredim, you have the Reish's Chachma, and in the generation after that, you have the Shla. These three other commentaries more or less put forth the argument that not only did the Zayar forbid Shalikadarka, but even the Gemara did, which is a, a huge shift in terms of what rabbinic literature was saying about it until then. So that's a fascinating reality historically. We're running out of time. I want to ask you two more questions, though. It's important that we get this in. And I'll say the two questions together. Perhaps the answer goes together. The first question I would have is, in giving the various etarium and explaining in your book that the Mechaber's approach is not the only approach, and in fact, most of the Rishonim disagree with his approach, nevertheless, the Mechaber's entire basis or I should say a big part of his basis, is based on Kabbalistic sources, the Zohar in particular, saying that the spilling of semen is a very bad thing to do, a very an evil act as such. And I'll take it even further, the fact that the Mechaber then says that had others known about how serious this was, had they seen the Zohar's interpretation, they never would have permitted that which they permitted. So the first question I have is this, given that that's what the Mechaber says, how do you feel about telling people that these other opinions exist? Because admittedly, from the Kabbalistic approach, the Mechaber is absolutely right. Essentially, it seems to me that what you're doing by presenting other opinions and offering them as valid halachic approaches, you're essentially saying the Mechaber's approach towards Kabbalah is not necessarily the primary or the main approach we have. So that's my first question. How do we just discount the Mechaber's approach, given that his approach, in a sense, discounts the other ones? He says, I know other people said this, however, they're wrong because they didn't understand the Kabbalistic vision that lies behind it. That's my first question. And my second question is, why do you think that it's important for couples to know about the alternate opinions? It's an interesting thing to know, but why is it an important thing for them to realize that the Mechaber's approach is not the only approach that exists? So answering your first question, two things. First of all, Rabbi Yosef Karo himself, he makes two statements in Beis Yosef and the Bedek Abayas. The Beis Yosef, again, he says, a halachic caution, even though there are these opinions that permit Shalikadarka to the point of climax, a person who is conscientious of his soul should distance himself from it. And even though in Bedek Abayas, he says that if the Rishonim who said what they said, if they'd seen the Zayar, they wouldn't have said what they said to permit it. At the end of the day, Rabbi Yosef Karo does not actually issue a clear-cut prohibition. And actually, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein in Igris Moshe actually acknowledges that the wording of Rabbi Yosef Karo here is reserved and is not equivalent to a full-fledged prohibition, and the book references where that is. He was actually not the first person to mention this, at least in regard to the, the halachic caution in Beis Yosef. The Ezer um, Makudash of Avram David of Butchach, he uh, says in his commentary that the wording of Rabbi Yosef Karo does not say it's forbidden, and therefore it implies that even though it may be discouraged, it's not forbidden. So that alone is an important point that needs to be pointed out, that nowhere does Rabbi Yosef Karo issue a clear-cut prohibition. It's important because even the later Achronim who quote Rabbi Yosef Karo's cautions, whether they quote the halachic caution in Beis Yosef or the Kabbalistic caution from Bedek Abayas, they quote it, but they don't issue a clear isser. So it implies that what Rabbi Yosef Karo was saying was, this is something that a person should consider, but it actually does give us a way of understanding why is it that in Shulchan Aruch, he didn't address the concept of Shulchan or Derech Evarim, 
and didn't say they're forbidden. Because in the Beis Yosef and Berakabais, he addressed all the opinions, he gave his cautions, but when it comes to actual halacha, he didn't paskin really either way. It's an approach that I think is, I put forward in the book. Obviously, people can consider it and judge for themselves. But like I said, Ramosha Feinstein already notes this, and Avram Davidov Buchach already notes this. Well, that leads right to my second question then. In that case, given that he's not giving a blanket isser, but he does recommend clearly against it, why is it important in your mind, Reverend Shapiro, that people know the alternate opinions? Why is it important for people nowadays, for couples to have this in their hands? Well, I think it's always been important for people to know. I don't think today is any special uh, situation. I think that a lot of people, when they approach this topic from the assumption that Reish Mem and Arachayim is the baseline law and everything else is a kula that you need a heter for, so then people come up with all kinds of explanations that our generation is more you know, wayward and we have all our problems. The baseline halacha of the majority of Paiskim has always been the same. People are human. People need to know what's allowed because Hashem created us with human nature. So it's important for people in any generation to know this, not just our generation, but one could argue that even more so today with all the exposure people have through the internet and just through general awareness that people have of these things, it's important for people to know that when they are curious about certain things, it doesn't reflect on them spiritually in the sense that there's anything wrong with them, there's nothing abnormal about them from a halachic or Torah perspective. Obviously, you know, even the Rishonim, who are very permissive, almost all of them, alongside their permissive ruling, they also address the matter of sanctity, which is that a person should voluntarily strive for more altruistic intentions in everything in life, including in sexual intimacy, whether it's focusing on giving pleasure to one's spouse rather than on receiving it, or focusing on God's purpose in it, which is either procreation or other intentions that they discuss. But... The fact of the matter is is that when, when the Chachamim Paskin, that a husband and wife can do everything they want together, the Rishonim address, why is that? Why do the Chachamim say that? One of the explanations is, is that God did not give the laws of this topic just for tzaddikim. Hashem created us, He knows what our nature is, and He gave us laws that we can handle. So when you specifically talk about Rabbi Yosef Karo, the fact is that the Ramah, you know, people say, oh, we Paskin like Shulchan Aruch. Well, the fact is, is that the Ramah is part of Shulchan Aruch, and he paskins differently than the Rios of Karo. You have other Acharenim, like we mentioned before, that don't paskin like Rios of Karo. So to say that Rishim and Mem is the last word on the topic is really a misrepresentation. And I would just add one last point, which is that even when we talk about the concept of sanctity, you know, we just discussed why is it that the Chachamim rule the way that they do on Nadarim. And some take the approach that Hashem was basically, he understands our animalistic sides, and he was pacifying our animalistic sides, but ultimately, God wants us to grow. It's interesting to note that there's two Rishonim. One is in the Toysavis Yishanim, and the other one is brought down the Shittim Ekubetzis in the name of the author of the Sefer Yireim, who both comment when it says, Kol Masha Adam writes Elasa whatever a man and wife want to do together they can do, they comment, Ve'ein chisar in Kedusha, and there is no lacking in Kedusha. So it's important to be aware of that approach as well. And finally, there's one other approach that people should be aware of, which is the approach of the Sefer Hasidim. You know, the Sefer Hasidim is under, is a Yuda uh, Hasid. It's written in a, a milieu of asceticism. But Yuda uh, Hasid says clearly that when it comes to matters of, let's say, variety of positions in the bedroom, it all depends on the personal tastes of husband and wife. And he says clearly there, he says, if a husband has found a good wife who is of same mind with him, They've already elicited God's favor, and they have his blessing to proceed with happiness and and, and harmony. So it's very important for people to be aware that Torah has a very 
down-to-earth, very empathetic, humane approach on these su- subjects, and I think ultimately has the power to save marriages and save lives, you know, spiritual lives. And that's particularly noteworthy coming from the Sefer Hasidim, who's known for, as you said, his asceticism, and in some places being very machmer and having a very spiritual orientation towards things. But apparently when it comes to these matters, he says that a spiritual orientation is the same as enjoying life in a sexual manner as well. Absolutely. I've been speaking with Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro. He's the author of a book, Halachic Positions, What Judaism Really Says About Passion in the Marital Bed. It's available on Amazon. Rabbi Shapiro, I'm looking forward to having you on the show again. We can discuss more details of this book. But thank you so much for joining me today and discussing an overall view of sexuality, going through the halachic parameters, the basic ideas that lie behind it, and the Gemaras. This is extremely enlightening for me, and I'm sure for our listeners as well. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure and a real honor. You're listening to JewishCoffeeHouse.com.